You are listening to Messy in the Middle, the show here to help you navigate the messy blend that is life and business today. I'm your host, Haley Johnson, and my guests and I are here to dish out all the hot takes, big wins, and seriously messy moments that come with being an entrepreneur. So grab another cup of coffee, you know you want to, and let's get into it. Welcome back to Messy in the Middle. Today with me, I have Lise Wilcox. Lise is a financial coach, a life coach, an author, and probably a million other things that I don't know about right yet. So I'm going to let Lise introduce herself. Lise, take it away. It's awesome that you said welcome back. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> you weren't really talking to me. So my bad, but it's thank fun. you for having me on the show. <laughs> Yes, right now. I'm always trying to find the best language to explain what I do. But now my dinner party answer to the question, what do you do for a living is I help women make more money. Love that. Definitely clear yeah. and probably don't have nearly as many follow-up questions as <laughs> when I tell people what I do. The last time I was like telling a bunch of new people what I did, it was people who my grandma had told what I do. <laughs> and so they think I work at a tech company because I yes. do stuff on the internet. Yes. <laughs> So helping women make more money. Super clear. I love that. (laughs) When we last spoke, you were more titled, I guess, as a strategic life coach. And Mm -hmm. from my understanding, you helped women make more money then. So Mm -hmm. I wonder what the maybe spark was to shift from life to financial coach or what that looked like maybe on the back end versus from a marketing perspective. Uh, it's it's totally marketing. And it's just that, you know, when you're running a business and you keep stripping away layers and you keep getting a more and more honest sense or a more clear sense of what you really do. When I kept peeling away those layers for myself, it was really like, I'm really a strategic business coach. Like mm-hmm. I can coach anybody on anything. And that is great. And I actually feel really comfortable saying that I feel really comfortable doing that. Where I have the most fun and I find the most like action is when we really focus on somebody's business. Now, what's so exciting about that, it's like (laughs) kind of a bait and switch. It's like, yep, we're totally going to talk about your business. But as we know, every relationship we have in our life is built on the foundation of the relationship we have with ourselves. So even business coaching with me, which is like very results focused and strategy centered on the end goal of making more money, you can't make more money until you change your relationship to money. Mm -hmm. And when you change your relationship to money, you change your relationship to life. So for me, it's like, if I was trying to, um, you know, a few years ago, really position myself as a relationship coach and like sell the idea of, or market the idea of self-love and what does that relationship look like with yourself? Nobody really wants that because nobody really knows that they need that. Mm -hmm. But if we look at it through the lens of like, hang on a second, what do you need in your business? Well, ultimately I want to run a purpose-driven, impact-oriented, but profitable business. Cool. Let's use that as our result and get you in the like front door. But also let's talk about everything else that affects that from an emotional health perspective that you don't even, you don't necessarily look at when you, when you talk about running a business or even marketing a business. Right. It's almost like, I think if we were to try and sell health and wellness coaching from a perspective of just like, I'm going to teach you how to really love broccoli. I'm not going to tell you why you should love broccoli. I'm not going to tell you like, no, the end result is like, we should be eating vegetables because they make us healthy and strong or whatever, but no one's going to get sold on vegetables. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. So it is, it's more, it's just more like an, an honest approach. And I feel like it's more, not even realistic. I feel like it speaks more to the clients that I really serve the best. Mm-hmm. When I was making this transition into what I would now call strategic business coaching, we just swapped out life and put in business because let's yeah. be honest, that's what it is. <laughs> But I was looking back on all the clients that I had worked with and literally none of them came to me saying like, Hey, I want to make more money. But interestingly, almost all of them ended up making more money. So even Mm. when that wasn't the focal point, it was like, well, when we can get really clear on what the relationship to yourself is like and what your old stories, patterns, and programs are and how they result in self-sabotaging patterns in your life we automatically start to close the gap between your self-worth and your net worth and money starts coming in in a, in a different way or we're able to save money in a healthier way or we're able to spend money in a healthier way without having to constrict or be reckless in it. So something that I was curious about when you mentioned that none of your previous clients had necessarily come to you looking to make more money, but that was the result that they all pretty much got is since changing this positioning from life coaching to business or financial coaching, have you noticed a change in the type of clients that you get or the things that they're trying to come to you to solve? Uh, Yes, but it's interesting because I'm also changing my audience. Mm. Money is such a taboo issue or subject that like people don't really like to talk about. I'm finding it interesting to see who's dropping off because they're like, oh, what? This isn't what we want from you. It's like, oh, cool. So unfortunately, they're going away and new people are coming in. So that's the biggest change that I've noticed is that when I kind of switched like the focal point of my content. I lost a lot of followers and I've been gaining new followers and therefore new people who are interested in working with me from a totally different perspective. And most of those people are like, ah, I run a great business. I've made six figures. And why do I still feel like I don't have any money? Or why do I still Mm. feel like I'm really quote unquote bad with money? And so I think that's that's the conversation that's now being opened up because you're not bad with money. It's not that your business isn't making money. It's that we have such a tortured relationship to money. And that comes from so many old stories of the past that we kind of have to address those in Mm -hmm. order to move you forward towards that ultimate goal of making more. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And it's probably really interesting. Like the marketer and like analyst in me is thinking like, it's probably so cool to see your, audience change like that and to know like oh I've like gone down an engagement or lost a bunch of followers and it's because you've done like this hard shift in your content and then to see that that content is still calling in new people because I feel like you are very active on Instagram and that's where like Mm -hmm. I learn the most about you and you know see the most of your marketing and I feel like for a lot of people who are super active on Instagram when they're noticing these issues. It's kind of just like mm-hmm. the algorithm decided they didn't like them anymore. And so it's, it's probably been really interesting for you to get to see that like natural shift in engagement mm-hmm. and everything. That's not just from Instagram being Instagram for once. It's actually because well, you're changing who you're speaking to. Exactly. But it's also opened up and this only happened one time. So yes, I'm being dramatic about this, but I'm going to share this story anyway. I have like, <laughs> I had what a seven or eight, nine year career run on Instagram with pretty much no negative feedback. Mm -hmm. Like I can count on one hand, the number of like negative comments that I've received. And as soon as I switched direction, somebody that I knew and trusted accidentally sent me one of my reels with 
the caption just said WTAF question mark question mark question mark like that's aggressive with oh my gosh yeah and she sent it to me with that caption and I wrote back single question mark like I was really biting my tongue to not jump into this right away and the only comment back was like, oops, sorry, this was meant for somebody else. My thumbs. I was like, that doesn't not make what it you better. Be apologizing for, by <laughs> the way. But yeah, so it's like, I can tell that I've started to piss people off, which you tell me as the marketer, isn't that a good thing? <laughs> people are getting angry. <laughs> to some degree, yeah. I think that there's definitely like the strategy of like being kind of like oppositional and like trying to get, you know, piss people off and be controversial in your marketing. And I don't think that's what you're trying to do. So then I think it's good that you're pissing people off. In my opinion, the strategy of like being harsh and abrasive and like all that stuff to like get people talking like that's not, it could be a successful marketing strategy, but it's not great. But I think for you, when you're like just showing up talking about the things that you truly believe need to be talked about and people are pissed off by that, like good riddance, bye friends, like get out of here. I know, I know. (laughs) Thank you, next. But yeah, I was shocked to see that. And that was, again, something that just kind of came out of like, honestly, this has not been a wild career pivot. It hasn't Mm -hmm. been like, and from now on, I will be raising alpaca on my natural farm, right? It's like, not that. (laughs) It was like, I was over here in strategic life coaching and literally stepped like two feet over to the right. And then somebody sent me my own reel in judgment. That's an interesting thing to think about though. When like, you look at how small of a pivot it is of just going from general life coaching to a slightly more specific conversation about money. And I wonder what it is about that shift that really does get people so like riled up. And I kind of wonder if it's like having something specific to point to as opposed to just like life like talking about these bigger picture life things and how you can change your life is like so abstract that it's easy to like ignore and I Mm -hmm. think probably part of why you're finding more success in the financial space but also more Mm -hmm. controversy is because you're talking Mm -hmm. about things that people can grab on to yes I agree and I guess some of the people who are grabbing on don't like it (laughs) they don't like it well and then you know so I feel like you share this lens that so much of this work to me comes under a feminist lens. When you really start scratching the surface, it's like, oh, wow, folks, the system is really broken. Like, it's really, really unfair. Uh, and I feel like what also like another tendril or tentacle that comes out of that conversation is a little bit of the um, how dare she mm. or who does she think she is? You know, and I, I feel I'm feeling that a little more and like a little reticence from some people of like, wait a second, it was fine for us to engage in your content when you're just like sharing about your life or then when you started life coaching. But now that you're openly talking about the fact that you run a successful business and have three kids mm-hmm. and had breast cancer and blah, 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 is like, oh, wait, no, I don't like how dare you speak yeah. out loud about this? It's like, guys, <laughs> this has been me forever. I've just never really told the untold stories before yeah it's like life coaching is this loosey-goosey thing that girls are allowed to like have fun and play around with and then when you start like putting dollar signs behind it it's like no no you can't have that back in your place exactly so you talk about you know being an author and your entire story before you were a life and financial Mm -hmm. coach 
let's rewind a little bit because obviously I know about those things, but can you tell our audience a little bit more about what made you this life and financial coach who can coach anyone to be successful and can coach anyone to make more money? My first career iteration was as a Montessori teacher, and I've always just had a natural passion for learning and then sharing the information. So in that way, like I'm a really natural educator. I love gathering. And then I love sharing the information to the chagrin of my children often. <laughs> They're like, no more sharing. Like we're good. You don't have to coach us. But, but also what I found really fascinating about my career as a Montessori teacher is that I learned so much about human development in our earliest years. Then if you fast forward a few years later, I got married for the first time and had a family, like three kids in less than two years. It was like a back to back to back thing. You and, just wanted um, to get it out of the way. Well, oh my the, God. All the like, baby I always, having done. I, I always wanted to have a big family gets pregnant with twins like a year into motherhood. I chose to stay home and raise our family. And part only a few years into that, I kind of called time of death on my marriage and left the marriage. And I really blew up my life. And it was from having this sense that we were living this perfect picture, like looks amazing from the outside in life. But on the inside, that was not the case, like at all. And that was such a disruptor to my life that all of a sudden, you know, I'd been completely financially dependent on somebody else and had openly and actively set all career objectives aside because I just didn't think I was ever going to have to do that again. And in the the aftermath of divorce, I needed to, I was completely financially independent and I was raising three girls by myself. And all of a sudden I needed to invent a career. So in that process, I was like doing a lot of marketing and advertising work, a lot of influencer marketing. I had been writing a column and the column turned into a blog. And then through the blog, I started using Instagram. So I got really good at using Instagram and it was when Instagram was actually very new and mm -hmm. nobody was really using it as a tool for business yet. So I started taking on coaching clients. I thought they were basically marketing clients. We would take on a new client, my business partner and I, they would look at her and be like, okay, so let's talk sales strategy. And they would look at me and they'd be like, listen, I'm really nervous about this because my mother-in-law doesn't think I'm creative enough. And I just had this story in my head. And so I like accidentally ended up coaching people through mindset stuff. Mm -hmm. And that felt so good that then I went back to school and learned how to do that as a, an NLP coach. Just after that, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So we had like this whole breast cancer experience. And while I was undergoing treatments, I finally had all this time to write a book, wrote my book during chemo. And, you know, then the pandemic happened and like, what do you know? I had more time to write another book. So I wrote another book and like all of these tiny little, like they were pretty major, but all these independent life events that happened just kind of paved the way for me to become an expert in what I do for, for businesses based on a really keen understanding of the emotional relationship that we have to work, to money. So that really is like a roller coaster of an experience to kind of bring you to where you are today. I have a couple questions about like the book side of things, but before I get into that, mm -hmm. my little like anxiety monster in the back of my brain is like, if I had gone through that like series of events, if I'd, you know, started a family and then gotten divorced and then gotten back up on my feet and then been diagnosed with cancer, like I would constantly be waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. And I feel like yeah. you don't give that impression. You give a very Zen, like we're good. We got this. 
vibe. How do you stay in the present and not be like so worried about something happening again? Because I know that's where I would be constantly. (laughs) I mean, you say that, but you don't really know until you're in that situation. And from the outside, I feel like it's really easy to be like, man, I could never do that. Mm -hmm. But when you're in it, like, what was I going to do? Be like, oh, I guess I'll give up. I guess I'll stop being financially responsible for my family, or I guess I'll just stop having cancer now. Like it's one of those things that you kind of put one foot in front of the other because you don't really have a choice. And the other thing that I would add to that is that I am my own best client. And so I would take, you know, I would search because I'm a learner and a gatherer. I would seek out these tools and the information and the education I needed to make my experience better Mm -hmm. and more livable. But because I had so many life events happen kind of within a like a seven year, six year period of time, I just learned so much. And I, t- right. I took all this, this earned, learned wisdom and would create my own like version of that content wise. And it really did. It made me an expert in so many different aspects of adulting. And it was so genuine because Mm. it wasn't like me in an ivory tower talking about the health experience or like the terror of being financially independent and responsible for your family when you've literally never done that before or starting a business from scratch and having your entire social group abandon you. Like there was so much that I was learning through the, like the pain and the, the thick of it all that I was able to then process that in my own way and kind of move the dial in a really healthy way for me and ultimately for literally anybody who ever worked with me. Right. So yeah, you really are your like best case study for yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can tell you what works and I can tell you what doesn't work. And I can tell you what, like we have to tweak for this one thing from a book that you've read. I can tell you how to tweak that thing. So it actually works. <laughs> Right. (laughs) So when it came to writing your book, obviously being in chemo was what gave you the time to do it. What gave you the inspiration to actually turn it into a book, a best-selling book, and then a book with a sequel? Like what made you go from like, oh, I have time, I might as well write a book to like, this is going to be something? Are you just a this is going to be something kind of person? Or was there like another thing that clicked? I haven't always been, I am now. And even, you know, that example from somebody who sent me that reel, I was devastated. Like that really hurt my feelings. And three days later, I was like, I'm going to turn this into content. (laughs) So like, I definitely have that outlook on life that you can always repurpose the stuff that happens. However, the other side of the coin is that when I was a kid, I experienced a tremendous amount of narcissistic emotional abuse. And it was just, it's its such a devastating experience to grow up in that kind of home environment. And the pervasive messaging is that like, you are just a piece of shit. Like you're not worth anything. You're never going to amount to anything. But again, from the outside looking in, we're going to maintain the illusion that we are a happy, thriving, functional family. And on the inside, it was like living in a cult. Like it was so bad. And so when I was going through the process of divorce, I was simultaneously going back and unpacking all of that trauma from childhood and healing through that. And so by the time, by the time we got to the cancer phase of my life, it was like, like now I've got enough material to talk about what my experience was like and the decisions I've made to stop being like a victim of my own life and start treating myself with a totally different kind of reverence, sense of adoration, love, and ultimately forgiveness and acceptance. 
And that to me was such a powerful message because I had been seeking that information, but I couldn't find it in one location. I was like, well, I guess I have no choice. I guess I have to write that book now. And so that's what the first book is. It's it's literally, it's like a, a self-love manifesto and a step-by-step, here's what you do next mm-hmm. when you were on that process of coming home to yourself. Right. So it was kind of like you wrote the book that you wished you had to read. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. And then I did it again with the second one because you know, the first one is great. And it's like, and I learned to love myself the end. And after I finished the book and the book came out and it was a bestseller, that was so exciting. And I was like, I'm still single and I'm profoundly lonely. We were in the middle of the pandemic. I thought I would have remarried and moved on like so quickly. And it just, it was not happening. And so I was like, well, I guess I gotta write another book about this experience too, right? (laughs) And so I did. I just like kind of reframed what it really meant to be alone versus lonely. And it kind of picks up where the other book leaves off and looks at the experience of being alone, not only in your intimate partnerships, but what's it like to feel the loneliness of entrepreneurship? You know, what's it like to feel alone in your parenting or in adult female friendships where you often don't feel the support that you want to feel? So it's kind of like a comprehensive reframe on what it means to be alone and what to do with those pretty uncomfortable feelings that that come up. Right. Was there any sort of like additional pressure or like change in your perception as you went into writing the second book versus writing the first book because I feel like like I want to write a book but it's always in the back of my head of like well if I write a book then I'll just like figure out how to promote it and like figure out how to get people to read it and like there's a whole lot of like writing the book is just the first part of the challenge but then I feel like once you've written the book you've made the you know the lists you've gotten the critical reception or whatever Well, then the second book has to stand up to that or Mm -hmm. at least like stand next to it and kind of hold its own. Mm -hmm. Kind of like what was going through your head when you decided like, okay, I'm writing the second book and this is what it needs to mean. I didn't really feel the pressure because I just felt so called to write it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, speak about it or talking about a um, a taboo subject, when you're a 40-year-old woman, people don't really want to hear about how you're single. And mm-hmm. I can tell you that after having almost all of my friendships disappear overnight, that suddenly it felt like I was a threat to my married friends because I didn't have a, a partner. That was its own like significant amount of pain and weight that that carried. So for me, and I also got sober in there too. So it was like, I had no more coping mechanisms left because I was like, you know, I don't, I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. And then I gave up drinking and it was like, oh, I got to turn to writing for therapy. So it again, it didn't feel pressure. It just like, no, this is a continuation of this story. And I have some pretty fantastic insights, especially as an overthinker about like what this really means. I also had so many great stories from dating and I needed a, like an outlet <laughs> to put them into uh, like just to share them with the world. But the book became about that too. You should definitely write a book. I was actually, I don't even know what made me think about this, but I was like, I wonder if you have a book or if you're working <laughs> on it. There's, I've got like, there's two ideas. There's one like very kind of stereotypical, like I created a marketing technique. I'm going to write the book about yeah. the marketing technique kind of book. But yeah. then there's also like, that more personal memoir style like Mm -hmm. this is all the shit that I've been through but like 
mm-hmm. the the self-sabotage part of me is like, well, who am I to say I've been through shit? Like I'm a, I'm an upper middle class white girl from <laughs> New yeah. Jersey, like that kind of a thing. But I definitely like there's something brewing on both ends of things. I just haven't, I haven't quite reached the throwing my energy into something creative mm-hmm. stage of things yet because I also have recently gotten mm-hmm. sober. But yeah. I'm currently in the I just crochet all day <laughs> to keep my hands busy stage of thing. <laughs> um, so I just like I'm really good at creating scarves. <laughs> and one day I'll turn that into yeah. books. But right now it's just scarves. <laughs> uh, congratulations! You sounds like you went from rosé all day to crochet all day. So that's a big transition. Pretty much. <laughs> I think if I yeah, yeah if I ever thing- make a sticker, I'll I'll probably consider throwing that on there. <laughs> it's so interesting because as a marketer, you know, like or maybe you don't know, but for anybody who doesn't know this listening, you won't make any money writing a book. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not about that. It's a book is so many other things. And for me and as a business owner, the book is merely a business card, right? Mm-hmm. And is that business card still relevant for my current business? I don't know, but now it's out there. They're both out there. But I think that there's like a burning desire for people to, or I don't know, maybe we're socialized to think this, that like, you know, you're going to write this book and it's going to open up so many opportunities and the money's going to, no, if that's not for most people, that's not going to happen. But everybody, each of us is so creative and the book is worthy of being written like just for that. As humans, we're natural connectors, right? We're social animals. And your story is going to resonate with how many other upper middle class white girls from New Jersey who had a really similar experience. You know, I'm a, an upper middle class white girl from Toronto, Canada, mm-hmm. and the story connected with so many people because in my case, if you're experiencing narcissistic or emotional abuse, literally nobody knows right? because you're so isolated. And then narcissist is so good at putting on a front that everybody thinks you're living this dream life. And on the inside, you're like, I can't believe this. Like I'm drowning and nobody Mm -hmm. believes me. So, you know, my point is that that kind of a book connects with or reaches and connects with so many people that don't even know how to ask for a shared experience or to be witnessed in their experience until they read that kind of a book. Yeah, true. All right, I'll keep I'll keep hanging on to it on the vision board. Maybe <laughs> I'll maybe I'll pull it down every now and then. I think there's a part of it too that like in my mind, like if I write a marketing book, for example, I don't have to be as stressed mm-hmm. about like writing marketing blog posts because if you think about it, yeah. like there's only so many ways you can say the same thing. And if you're doing marketing and not just like trend marketing, there's only so much to mm-hmm. say. And I think yeah. there's this like fear part of it that is about the more permanence of the visibility of writing a book Mm -hmm. versus writing a blog post or even I think like having a podcast Mm -hmm. making the decision to start this podcast for me was kind of like my way of dipping the toe in the water of like it's a Mm -hmm. little more than writing but it's not as like forever as like actually Mm -hmm. creating a book so there's definitely I think some working through some of that that I've got to do there too (laughs) do you have a podcast I feel like you do yeah I had one for basically two seasons and I'm just amping it up again with a different focus I basically think of them as as series like mini series Mm -hmm. um but yeah so my next one is called loving money and it's coming out in April and spoiler alert it's gonna be my third book but for for my third book 
I will have basically consolidated everything in my podcast and turned it into a book. Right. And that's kind of another reason why like the podcast, I think is such a great place because it's more mm-hmm. kind of natural ways of like getting all of this content than just sitting there in front of a computer, like tip tapping away. Exactly. 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 And if you've got a Mac, it's real loud tip tapping because those two words. I was just going to say, <laughs> sure I know, know that sound intimately. <laughs> so my next question was going to be what's next, but I guess the book is what's next. What's that process like mm-hmm. for you when you decide I'm going to write a book to actually writing the book to like the dis- the distribution and like publishing process? Do you have a publisher and an editor? Are you self-publishing? Like what is that kind of look like for you since you're now entering into it again (laughs) yeah it's a visceral feeling so it's like it's not even like oh I think I'd really like to write a book I get that feeling of like oh boy sounds like (laughs) I have to write a book you know it's like it comes up and out of me and I was gonna so the first two I wrote um and went through a like an indie publishing house like in a hybrid so it's not self-publishing but I also didn't have to have a literary agent so they they handle all the publishing for me my third one I would really like to have an agent and go through like a traditional publisher like Random House or you mm-hmm. know through the transatlantic agency and that is so worthy of my full attention that I was I was working with like a book coach and like going down that path to really get a proposal ready and I had to put my own brakes on and be like I don't think I have the bandwidth to do this right now. It's, I think it just depends on you, the person for me personally, it, it is a really big commitment. And I only write a book when it's like, like it won't, it'll take me probably three weeks to write the actual book. It's mm-hmm. just going through the process of like, when is the timing right? And who do I want to work with, et cetera. And then there's all the marketing and PR after that. If you, you, you don't really have to pursue if you don't want to, if you're just mm-hmm. using it as a, as a business card, but people feel differently about that. Yeah. But, for me, what's next is really like building up my mastermind programs. And ultimately when the, uh, one of my next mastermind is in full swing, I'm going to be working on a digital product. And when the digital product is in full swing, then I'm going to have the the bandwidth to concentrate more on the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I can see that. So is this, I've got like two different directions I have questions for. So <laughs> on the, on the book side of things was deciding to do it the more traditional way and like go with an agent and all of that stuff. One of those things where you were like, all right, it's my third book. Like, let's do it right this time. Or was it kind of like, this was the book that you knew needed or deserved like this kind of treatment or kind of like a combination of the two? I feel like it's a little bit of both, but the third book for me is it's so much less personal and an intimate personal story than the other two that I feel like I really want it to have the royal treatment. It's not something that I'm just like rushing to get published. I really think it has so much potential to be like a really impactful book for a lot of women and the mm. relationship to men. And so for me, like for that reason alone, I want it to have like an agent and a publisher with a marketing team so that I don't have to do all of that on my own. And also the, the other like, kind of egoic part of me just wants the challenge <laughs> right <laughs> I want to be able to be like okay you know what I did the first two in the way that really worked uh, for me and made the most sense at the time but the third one is like 
it is not easy to find an agent. So like, I'm going to give myself the the challenge in my business to be like, no, I've been working at this for like 10 years. And now I'm an expert in my field. And let's make that presence known. Right. I like that a lot. I like that. Now I feel like I'm just like kissing your ass or whatever. But I feel like <laughs> I I like that so much of the way you talk about what you do and so much that goes into the way you run your business and coach your clients is like, I've done this. I deserve to have mm-hmm. this, you know, level of authority or credibility on mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And that's why I'm saying it. And I feel like, especially in like the way that we can grow so quickly on social media and develop such mm-hmm. large audiences today, it's really easy mm-hmm. to just like show up one day, decide you're an authority and then yes, not really earn it. And that feels like a problematic thing to say, but it's kind of refreshing (laughs) to hear someone say, like, I put in 10 years of work and now I'm ready to, you know, throw all of that out into the world. Thank you. I was at an event in um, New York City a couple of weeks ago and um, somebody said to me, like, so what do you do? And we were talking and I was like, yeah, so I'm a coach. And they were like, so how long have you been coaching? I was like, man, it's been almost 10 years. And I'm not kidding. She was like, oh, so you're a real coach. And mm-hmm. I don't even think she, I don't, I don't even feel that way. But like, I, I do feel like a real coach, but I've never looked at it from that perspective. And I don't think she meant to say it out loud, but she was like, you know, you meet so many people who like, you know, I'm a life coach and I've been doing it for two weeks now. That yeah. She's like, oh, if you've been doing this for almost 10 years, like now you've got a proven model that what you do works and that you're financially like, stable enough to have this business and I was like actually that's so true like I think most coaching businesses fold after two or three years because they don't have the legs yeah I think a lot of coaching especially with I feel like I sound like such an old person but like a lot of coaching especially (laughs) with the internet is like (laughs) someone got lucky and then monetized what got them lucky And then once it stops working because they were lucky it worked in the first place, they can just like Mm kind of move on to something else. But -hmm. on the other end of that luck is like real people who are trying. Yes, exactly. And I would also argue that a lot of those really successful quote unquote coaches, like they're not even B2C anymore. They're B2B Mm -hmm. and they're not even really coaches anymore. They're marketers. So what they have is not that they're not necessarily great coaches. They don't necessarily have great insights. What they have is a huge ad spend. And when they have a huge ad spend, they then buy the audience because all they do is dominate your social feeds and your brain is like, oh, they must be an expert. I see them everywhere. It's like, what you don't see is the $50,000 a month in Facebook ads they're putting out. But okay, we can call them an expert if you want. Yeah. Well, and even I love what you said about they're not coaches, they're marketers, because my hottest take that I might get canceled for this, but whatever, is that like, (laughs) as someone who's spent, obviously, it's not a very long career, but like their entire career, Mm -hmm. learning and practicing and working to become Mm -hmm. a marketer, a -hmm. lot of them aren't marketers either. (laughs) Oh, and like, oh, Sorry to anyone who's listening to this who hates me now, but like, I'm also not sorry. (laughs) So what are they, con artists? Because that's like the only thing left in my mind. I mean, I'm not going to say it, but 
sometimes <laughs> I'll say it I'll say it yeah I think that like yeah, it's this it's they're a selling combination a dream. yeah they're selling a dream it's a combination of like getting lucky having the resources to capitalize on being lucky and having the marketing mm-hmm. know-how to spread that information but mm-hmm. not necessarily the marketing expertise to be able to apply it to a situation that's not yes. their own and so 100%. they are marketers, sure, but do they know how to teach marketing to a wide audience? Maybe yeah. not so much. Yeah, <laughs> I really, I really struggled with the idea of having like I've had so much resistance about launching a digital product, and only mm-hmm. now do I feel really ready to do it because I know the stats, and the stats are that eighty percent of people who buy a course don't finish the course. Yep, and it's like, oh, well, why would I? Why would I sell a product that I know somebody's not going to finish? Right? Like, there's so much integrity that has to go into this for me. But what I think is so fascinating is that, like, I'm not the only person who knows the stats, and all of the really famous insert names here. They know that too. And you'll notice that they don't do one-on-one coaching because they can't take you deep enough mm-hmm. to go one-on-one. But what they can do without like any accountability is sell a $200 program to 2 million people. And if it doesn't work out, well, you know what? I only spent 200 bucks on it. It doesn't really matter. Versus if you're going to drop 30K working with somebody one-on-one, it better work or else like there's a lot of accountability at stake, right? And so I just think it's, it's so sneaky to be like, yep. Now I'm going to, I'm going to sell this offer to like 2 million people for a really low price. It's not going to work for them because only 20% of them are going to finish it. But then because I had such enormous results in selling my low ticket offer, now I'm going to espouse the values and virtues of running a passive income business. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, it's all a house of cards. Like it's all built on lies. It really is. And what's fascinating is like, from my experience of when I briefly was like, I can sell a course and teach people how to do something. You're very familiar with, you know, what I do on LinkedIn and how I teach people how to use LinkedIn. I turned that into a a course. Thank you. (laughs) I turned that into a course (laughs) and instead of pricing it at like a $200, you can buy it and never Mm -hmm. think about it price. I priced it at, you know, what it was worth to learn Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. And nobody bought it because nobody, nobody wants it, to yeah. take a course. And at yeah. more than $200, it's really hard to tell yourself you're going to buy yeah. a course that you know you're not going to finish. Precisely. And, you know, that was a really There's... difficult lesson for me to learn. And I only spent like, I don't know, six months trying to learn it. And then I was like, this is bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not helping anyone <laughs> or myself. There is, I'm not going to say her name, but there's like a really prominent quote unquote expert in, in sales funnels and like passive income. And I remember a number of years ago, I listened to her on a podcast with somebody else who's very, again, expert quote unquote in his field. And they were laughing and joking about how they make their lowest ticket offer too full of information. They were like, we just jam it packed. So people look like, and feel like they can justify the 199, whatever it is, because they're getting so much value. And she's like, but we do it on purpose that we overwhelm them with information. And then we upsell them into our, our higher ticket items. And I was like, but you're evil. <laughs> like that's yeah. just that, like, how, how can you, how can you admit that to your listeners? Like that's an evil plan. 
right? And so it just, I don't yeah. know. Well, it's like they admit it because then that's what you teach. And yes. it's such an, in, it's an interesting strategy to teach because if you are the type of person who will purchase and become overwhelmed by a mm. lower ticket product that's stuffed to the gills, you will then mm-hmm. become too overwhelmed to create your own mm-hmm. low ticket product that's overwhelming because mm-hmm. it's stuffed to the gills. So then you yes, aren't yes. even becoming competition. Yes, I know. Exactly. Exactly. It's this weird, so like, I offense, defense, like, like <laughs> dark magic. The dark magic of the interweb. Yeah. So as you come <laughs> into the stage of your business where you are considering creating a digital product, do you know, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you know, but do you have anything yeah. you can share about, like, what that product might look like or what people might be able to expect from it in terms of you know, obviously it's not going to be a 197 stuff to the gills situation. No, it's going to be stuffed with integrity. I can tell you that. (laughs) So my signature program is a 10 month mastermind. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called the sunshine club. And in that program, we change your relationship with the money to X your income so that you can finally stop playing small. And I have like proof and metrics that this is a successful program. And I don't mean like just from a business standpoint, but from a return on impact perspective, Mm -hmm. like people are getting so much out of it. So I think that what I'm going to do is as a tester, I'm going to condense that into, into a program on its own with the intention of basically creating an offer suite that is like, you know what, if I had to close up shop and rebuild my practice from the ground up tomorrow, this is how I would do it differently. Mm. And I will, I'm going to break down all of the content that I've become an expert in and be like, you know, here's how we deal with wealth mindset. If you just want to do wealth mindset, cool, you can do that. Here's how we create a killer offer. If you only want to do that, cool, you can just do that. Here's how we, you know, end self-sabotage in your relationships and basically put together a comprehensive package of what I know it takes to grow a service-based business and mm-hmm. then offer that as, as its own product suite. I love that. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. <laughs> Thank God you're not like, that's not going to work. <laughs> no, I, I love it because it's, it's what you wish you had when you started yes. and you know that because you created it kind of like how your book yes. is what you wish you could read when you were going through that thing and then what you Mm -hmm. wish you could read when you were going through it again and so I think it Mm -hmm. really is in alignment with how you've structured the other things you've created in your life and in Mm -hmm. your business um and I think it will be super impactful for the people you're able to you know reach and support with it thank you I think so too and it's interesting because like you know this from working with me like if somebody presents the solution to the problem that I have, like, I just want to pay them right away. Right. Mm -hmm. Not everybody feels like that. And so I also feel I'm a high ticket coach and I feel like giving people a chance to test the waters and be like, okay, is she for real? Am I getting Mm -hmm. value out of her information? Like, can she put her money where her mouth is? Can she communicate high level concepts in like an easy to digest way? It kind of gives them a bridge to working with me at a major investment point, but they can do it for like a few hundred bucks Mm -hmm. and still feel like they've made Uh, an investment and still feel like they're getting a lot of results from it. And that should tell them like, 
okay, I actually want a lot more of what she's serving up or if they're like, nope, she's not for me. So thank God I didn't pony up the five figure investment to work with. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, just as it is a tool that you will be able to use to focus on the other areas of like selling your book and things that you want to do in your life to still sustain your business. It is just as equally a tool to support the people who might want to work with you into making that decision or not. Precisely, precisely. I love that. I have one final question before I let you go. And that is about your team. Because last I checked, Mm. you don't have one. And I feel like (laughs) everyone, myself included, like I have an assistant who I like could not do anything without. That's maybe a little bit of an exaggeration. (laughs) But like the second I brought someone on to help me, I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do without this in my life? Uh. Do you still basically operate as a solopreneur why do you operate as a solopreneur and do you have any plans <laughs> to kind of expand your team in the future yes yes and yes so <laughs> I have yes to all of those so I have really created a life-centered business for myself and that has worked out so well now what people I guess I think the most honest answer is that even if I don't have a team, I almost always have a coach. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm a part of a mastermind and I feel like the mastermind that I'm a part of is just so brilliant for bearing witness to the experience and for like hashing great ideas off of and bouncing great ideas and opportunities off of. I have an incredibly supportive new husband who is wonderful and has like, he's a serial entrepreneur. So he totally gets it and he's like supportive at home too so he's like he's like the whole package which is awesome for you um (laughs) thank you but you know things like bringing back the podcast I'm not doing that by myself anymore so like now I record the podcast and I I put it in a google drive and like somebody else handles that I didn't design the pot the album cover art like somebody else is doing that so I have people on board in that way you know like you've done all my LinkedIn stuff for me that's like that has been an enormous help and I would never have done that on my own. Mm-hmm. And because I'm also very keen about bolstering my, um, my speakers circuit presence, I'm also bringing on a VA who's only pitching for me. So okay. actually that's a reminder that I have to do this, but I'm <laughs> going to write out basically a series, a series of emails. And then she's going to do the research on who to pitch for more speaking opportunities. Cause that's mm. something that I just like, don't want to spend my time doing. And then for both of it, like she's just starting her VA business. And so for both of it, it's like a trial. And if it goes really well, then it's like, okay, so what else can you do in your genius zone that I can't do that makes it really complimentary. And in turn, I help, like I become your first client to start growing your business. So there's a bit of a symbiosis there. Gotcha. That's awesome. So yeah, yeah it sounds like you're starting to build a team, but like what yeah. took you so long to decide or to feel like you needed that that's such a good question um the real asshole answer is that like I'm just good at everything (laughs) like no I I I love doing branding and I love doing marketing and so you know part of me doesn't want to let go of that but another part of me is like okay I've got to think more like a CEO Mm -hmm. and bring people on who really like literally just do that for a living Mm -hmm. um the bigger thing for me is that my calendar is insane because I have three kids 
Right. And so the thought of the thought of outsourcing my and I'm pretty good at time management, but the thought of outsourcing my calendar for somebody else to manage, I'm like, I'm not letting go of that. Like that's right. I, I need to have like full agency over that. And that for me just became like, I don't know. I work predominantly one-on-one with people. There's such an intimate relationship that I have that even sending contracts and agreements, I kind of like it when it comes from me because it feels mm-hmm. like a really intimate personal container. But as the business continues to evolve and and includes now many more moving pieces, it's going to require a team because not only can I not do all of that by myself, but I really just don't want to. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And that's awesome that you were <laughs> able to like still do all of the things for so long and that you actually you. like to work. <laughs> <laughs> I do. so that is I think all that I have for you we're coming up on the end of our time and like you said you have a crazy calendar so I don't want to hold you too long (laughs) is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with any last words or anything you want to promote or share I mean you should work with Haley if you have any concerns about your marketing or especially LinkedIn that would be my first thing and secondly you know if this conversation has really like sparked anything for you you know in case it's not clear I am the real deal as a coach and sometimes there's not sometimes most of the time I just find there's like such a lack of integrity and authority in the coaching space that if you've been like looking for that person and you're not sure like just send me a message and we'll we can just chat and see if this is the right fit for you or if if I'm not the right fit I know so many people that we can at least get you started in the right direction because you know it's really true that once you start naming it and de-shaming it you know, from my perspective, when you change your relationship to money, you change your, your relationship to life. And that's just scratching the surface. So there are lots of resources available to help you with your own next step. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this today. I had such a great time. This was a great way to kick off interviews for season three, because I was okay. nervous. I haven't interviewed anyone in a while. And thank you so much <laughs> to our listeners for tuning into this episode. All of Lisa's stuff will be linked in the show notes, and we'll be back next week for another episode of Messy in the Middle. Hey there. Thanks for listening all the way to the end, or more likely, thanks for leaving your phone just far enough away that you can't get to it in time to skip past this part. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and leave a review. And shout out to my guests for joining me, my dog for not barking, my editor Chrissy for doing her thing, and my friend Devin for letting me use his music. You can check out all of the links for the podcast, anything mentioned in today's episode, and the amazing people who helped me put on the show in the show notes. Bye!